This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about things that are going on in your life, anything and everything. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 630 KSLR, numerically at 630 5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are in your car and driving around, uh, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producers. Hey, pray for uh, Paula and uh, the ladies, uh, the pastor's wives at our church. They are on their retreat. Uh, Paula spoke about it on Thursday. And uh, they would like, and I would like to know that a bunch of people are praying for them. Um, These getaways are really, really important. That means Paula won't be at the ladies' Bible study tonight, but Linda McMillan will be teaching at 7 o'clock at calvarysa.com. You can watch it live stream, or we typically have rooms, so you can uh, come and watch it live and in person. Pastor Ken, of course, will be teaching the men at the same time at 7 o'clock. Hope you had a great weekend in church uh, we did here yesterday, and um, glad to see people coming back to church. You got to see a lot of people I haven't seen for a while yesterday. That was a good, good thing. Well, let me get to questions. Oh, yes, that, my, my producer just reminded me. Um, uh, I asked you for prayer on, on Friday for um, Alfred Garcia. Um, called me in pain. I told you the story. Uh, Alfred went to be with Jesus Saturday morning. And for those of you who prayed, thank you very, very much. Um, it was sort of like a punch in the gut when I got the news. We were just walking into prayer on Saturday morning. And um, um, his daughter called me and told me. And in prayer, we have corporate prayer every Saturday morning at 930. Um, while we were in prayer, the Lord just spoke to my heart. I, I was hurting so much, and he said, you asked me to take away his pain. And while it didn't take away my sadness, it made sense. That was the best way, and the Lord answered our prayers. So again, I just want to thank all of you for praying, those of you uh, who do a really good job of praying when we ask for prayer here. Pray for Alfred's daughter, Michelle, and the family that will be getting together. 
Let's go to um, Helene from San Antonio, Texas, on line one. Helene, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good, good. I guess it's afternoon right now in San Antonio, but uh, I'm listening to the Christian station here in my kitchen while I'm doing some things, and I just okay. want to praise God that we're still able to be on the radio and hear things Thank about you. the Lord and His mercy and His grace. I don't exactly know who you were praying for, sir, or, or, or what the what the purpose was of that prayer, but I, I I'm just thankful that we still go to the Lord in prayer, no matter what our problems are. Yes. He's always there to answer. He always gives hope he, and give us assurance and I'm so thankful for that and then thank you for your radio station and uh, I don't know if you're from here locally in San Antonio if you're from somewhere else uh, with your ministry I'm not sure it's the first time I've listened oh well thank you for tuning in Helene we are here in San Antonio actually our church is in Universal Studio and that's where the studio that we're uh, broadcasting from here and uh, it's always great to have people tune in for the first time, and thank you very, very much. Uh, with regard to the man we're praying for, um, he, he was a, a man that had been to our church for about five years, and um, uh, he just had lots and lots of health problems and was really suffering from pain last week. And he called and asked for, for prayer, and uh, he went to be with Jesus on Saturday morning, so he is no longer in prayer. We're sad. Uh, but uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And uh, Alfred is no longer in any pain at all. So I appreciate it very, very much. We are local. I'm also on the radio and teaching programs on KSLR uh, and other stations throughout the nation. But uh, um, hope you've been blessed. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. For your church and for whatever you're doing for the Lord, and may we all just stay steadfast till He comes back, because I think He's <laughs> right at the door. <laughs> I really do. Okay, sir. God bless you and your ministry, and, and may thank, he you, come here. thank you, Helene. Bless you, Thank you. Thank you. God bless you today. Uh huh. I appreciate that very, very much. I, I, Helene obviously didn't listen to my Bible study yesterday, but I kept saying all day during the Bible study that that Jesus is getting up. He's getting up. He's ready to come. And I am ready for him to come. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Helene, it's nice to know that you are waiting for his soon return as well. Let me go to some questions that have been sent in. The first one is going to come from um, Daniel. He says, I have a random question for you. I've heard from a few friends that the NET, that's a New English translation, uh, version is amazing because it makes everything so clear. I haven't heard of it till now. Um, I looked up some various chunks of scripture online under the NET and nothing jumped out as too different apart from the usual changes you see in some of the newer translations like changing man to mankind or adding uh, sisters whenever the brothers uh, shows up. What are your thoughts on the NET? Um, Daniel, it's it's okay. There's a couple of things that I don't like with it. One of them you mentioned um, when, when we, we, we change words or we add words, um, then it ceases to be a legitimate translation. The NIT, NET um, is, is close to the 1984 NIV, which is my favorite New Testament translation anyway. Um, and, and I appreciate uh, uh, its clarity. However, when it takes a manuscript, and translation is supposed to be faithful to the manuscript, when it takes a manuscript, and I'm assuming, I couldn't find it, but I'm assuming 
that the NET is coming from the Alexandrian manuscripts as well. Um, when it says, brothers, I urge you, that's exactly what it means. It doesn't mean brothers and sisters. Now, we understand they were a patriarchal uh, society, um, but, but you just don't mess with the translation of the Bible uh, lest you run in the danger of becoming uh, an interpretation, and that's not what we want. The Holy Spirit is the one who interprets it. The other thing I don't like about it, uh, it it's, it's because um, um, it's, it's, it's downloaded frequently. It's, it's become a very popular translation. Um, but it's more of a study Bible uh, with lots and lots of notes. I mean, lots and lots of notes. And the problem with that is we spend more time uh, practically reading the notes or reading the explanations than we do um, um, reading the Word itself. And I've always uh, recommended, Daniel, on this program, that people just get a Bible, get a reference Bible, uh, a Thompson Chain reference or something. But, but the main thing is to read the words that are inspired by God. Not so much reading um, what somebody says this means. I think we, we, we're shortchanging ourselves when we're looking to people for uh, an interpretation. So um, just read it. Trust, let the Holy Spirit begin speaking to your heart. And I think personally that part of the real beauty and majesty of, of, uh, of reading your Bible is wrestling with, well, what does this mean? We can take what it says, but we need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear the, or, or experience the, the work of the Holy Spirit in giving the meaning and sometimes it just comes slowly. We, we want the answers too quickly. And I think instead of finding the quick answer, sometimes it's just better to let the Holy Spirit reveal stuff to you. So just not a fan of study Bibles. Uh, I, I realize they have their place, and I, I recognize that most people have them, and they want those interpretations. The problem is we read the interpretations first, and often we read them uh, at, at greater length than we do the Scripture itself. Uh, one other thing in its favor, you can download it for free. Uh, that's a really good thing. And I'm happy, Daniel, when anybody is reading um, uh, the uh, the Bible period. So uh, I, I'm not troubled by the, the use of words other than I'm tired, I, I tire of the, the, uh, uh, the changes in those words. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to my friend in San Leandro, California, on line one, Tanya. Thank you for calling. It's good to hear from you. Hi, Papa. How are you guys doing over there? We're doing well. It's a little windy today. It's starting to get fallish and means my summer's leaving, oh. which I don't like. I know that. Um, I just wanted to give an update that um, we were finally able to go to church. So I want to oh, thank uh, people for prayers. And it was a very limited number. You have to sign up to go. But... Um, you know, one of the things I, I hear you say, you know, the folks in, in Texas to, to get to church, and it's, you don't realize it, especially for me, what an honor and privilege it is to be able to go and assemble with um, with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I just really wanted to encourage the folks in Texas to not, you know, don't, 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 uh, don't pass on that, you know, get out there. <laughs> and it was, because, because, you know, we had to meet outside. And I'm sitting oh, wow. next to a, you know, yeah, we're, we can't meet indoors, but I, I told Carlos, and, you know, Carlos uh, has some, has some health issues, so 
he's considered a high risk person. So I told him, look, I'll, I'll use common sense. You know, I'm, I'm going to go. And so, of course, I went and it was just a beautiful time. But it was also sad to talk and think about how there's this building that we could be in and we're forced to 30, 40 people in a park, you know, yeah. on a patio. And I just really wanted first I wanted to thank everybody for the prayers. Um, we still need them. Um, looking forward to the church being completely open um, because there's just a lot of people hurting and, and and I just really want to thank um, the viewers and also to encourage them, you know, especially those in Texas, you don't realize, you know, what you got until it's really been taken away. And it's been taken away from me for a very long time. Um, this is actually the third Sunday, but last Sunday was when we had the bad air because of the smoke, uh, the fires. So I just want to ask for prayer for the fires as well. And just that we get that under control and we're experiencing, you'd be happy today, Papa, we're experiencing a heat wave over here, which is uncommon for us, as you know, in the Bay Area. But I just really wanted to call and give you guys an update, let you know that Thank we're you. all good and that it's getting better, um, you know, slowly. But obviously, I, I want the church open. And, and I'm feeling mm-hmm. for my fellow brothers and sisters, your church is open. Go to church. <laughs> hey, Tanya, can I ask you uh, quickly, uh, I know a lot of churches, especially in Southern California, have uh, have been openly defying the governor's shutdown orders, and they've been meeting um, um, some of the very large churches, um, um, and and uh, whatever the consequences are, that's what the consequences are. Uh, has that spread to the northern part of the state? No, sir. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, there there may be some some movement there in Fremont, but not not here. Um, and and I think what people are really doing is they're they're breaking down into smaller groups. You know, they're having kind of like home, I don't even want to say Bible studies, like having home home churches. You know, they're just having their little bubble of people, and they just meet with those people every Sunday, somebody who, you know, can rightly divide the word. But it's nothing like being able to, no. you know, it's, and it's hard. You know me, I'm a hugger. I'm like Mama Paula. I'm a hugger. <laughs> and it's hard that I can't hug. I mean, I'm wearing this mask. It's hard to talk. It's hard to breathe. All those things. But I just yeah. really, I'm just grateful that I was able to, to go and, and looking forward to going again on Sunday. But I do listen to all your sermons. That's the first thing at 630 in the morning for me. And then I go to the <laughs> church here. So I get double church. But I just want to tell you guys that we're doing better. And I keep praying that the governor will really just stop with all this and let us go back to church like normal people. Thank you, Tanya. God bless you. And we love you and miss you a whole bunch. You know, one of the things, and, and um, excuse me for a couple of minutes if I go off here a little bit, but, you know, church is, is church has a purpose. It's important. Um, um, I, I told Paul, I'm tired of this. I'm hugging consenting adults. We can make our own choices. Um, um, we're, we're at about 70% of our total um, um, pre-COVID uh, quarantine attendance uh, and, uh, I, you know, we're turning people away in the services, and it just breaks my heart. I got to see a lady yesterday who is in the high-risk category, and, and you know, it's good that she's been away. Um, but but you should have seen the look on her face when she looked at me. And, and uh, she turned her back to me, and that was her saying, please hug me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was just so good to see her. And um, Tanya's phone call reminds me that we need to keep praying for those in California who are defying the governor's orders. And um, 
uh, I think it's right that they should. It's civil disobedience in, I think, the, the, the holiest, most sanctified sins. Um, additionally, um, there's some huge, huge churches that, that have had absolutely no outbreaks of COVID at all. They've been meeting for, for months uh, during all of this. And the government, and in particular in California, are, are marking them. I don't know if you saw the YouTube video that was on the news. It actually made the news. Uh, in Idaho, there was an outdoor service where people were worshiping, all standing six feet apart, and uh, policemen were coming and arresting them. Uh, this is an all-out attack on the essentiality of the church and our right as Americans and our need as Christians to be equipped for the work of ministry. So get to church. And those of you who are here in Texas, most of my audience, of course, um, you know, you need to be in church. You don't. You can't be afraid. You can't stop living your life. I told the church yesterday, we're in Second um, Timothy chapter 4, and uh, Paul says, I, I know that the time for my departure is at hand. He means he's going to die, and he knows it. He's in prison at the Mamertine prison. And, um, you know, it's just it's one of those things where we don't get a day off as a Christian. We don't get to respond. We don't have the right. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We don't have the right to say, well, you know, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to be a part of the body. I'm not going to use my gifts. I'm not going to minister to others. And the truth is that isolation has been horrible for everybody, but in particular Christians. And um, I'm I'm standing with and for those churches, a couple of Calvary chapels uh, that are large that I know of are doing the same thing in California. And one other thought uh, for you, Tanya, and for everybody else. Um, you know, we get angry at the governor, we get angry at those states that are trying their best to close down churches. And, and I understand, but it needs to be a righteous anger. You know, we can't devolve into name-calling or, or, uh, or slander. Um, but what we do, we need to pray for Governor Newsom in this particular case. Just pray for him. God is one who moves the hearts of governors and kings and everybody in between. So we pray for him. He needs Jesus. And we don't expect him, or at least we shouldn't expect him, to understand uh, that church is more than essential. And uh, to, to understand the damage he's done, you know, those um, um, authorities, um, authority has been placed there by God. Those men and women who occupy those places of authority, uh, on the day of judgment, they're going to stand before Jesus himself. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And they're going to understand the severity of their actions and, and they're going to face judgment as a result of it. So uh, keep praying. Keep praying. Thank you, Tanya. Good to hear from you. Here is a series of questions. Now, I got the, I got an email with like eight questions in it, and n- none of them had names. So um, I'm just going to read them, and um, forgive me if I don't know your name, uh, but they just weren't included in the email that I got, I think, from... Uh, KSLR. This one says the New Testament's original audience was the first century church, most of whom were not well educated. Um, most of the disciples themselves certainly weren't educated. So why is that? Why is it that Christians today, saved and with the Holy Spirit, struggle with understanding God's word so often? Um, a couple things for this first question. One, 
I, I think the disciples were exceptionally well-educated. They went to the University of Jesus for three and a half years. So they were exceptionally well-educated. They, they, they heard the word from the living word. And I think just because they were fishermen doesn't mean that they were intellectually challenged. Um, they were Galileans. They spoke with a lisp. It'd be like somebody with a deep southern drawl. It's hard to sound smart. And, and yet some of the people were really, really bright. Um, these were the men chosen by God. And, uh, and they sat at the feet of Jesus for three and a half years. So I think they, um, uh, though ordinary men, they were called in the book of Acts and educated in the sense that they didn't learn from other Pharisees or other rabbis. Um, they, they certainly heard, learned from the very best that, that was available. Now, the question is, why do we, filled with the Holy Spirit today, struggle with understanding God's word so often? There's, there's two main reasons that we struggle with understanding God's word. First, there's sin in our lives. There's something that we're holding on to. God doesn't want us there. And, um, and, and we, we refuse to repent. And then what we've done is we've quenched the Spirit, and the Spirit's ability to, to communicate to us is cut off. That's one thing. The other thing is that we don't really, when you say people struggle with understanding God's word, I think most of the time the struggle is a result of them not really making an investment of time and effort to really dig in and understand what it says. You know, so much of the Bible is so clear. Flee from sexual immorality. That cannot be misunderstood. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That cannot be misunderstood. Pray without ceasing. I mean, how can we miss what that means? So what we really need to do is obey what we do understand, and the Holy Spirit will give us light on those passages that are a little bit more difficult to interpret. I think a lot of the under the, the struggling comes with with people getting online and listening to some Bible teacher and uh, on the chats or the IMs or, or um, uh, you know, they've got their own agenda. So just what does the Bible say? What does it mean? And how does it apply in our lives? If we do that, if we really ask God to open our heart, his living and active word will minister. All we have to do is be available to hear. We can't quench the Holy Spirit. You know, you can't open your Bible and say, okay, God, show me what this means when you're not, uh, as a husband, for an example, you're not being kind to your wife. You can't expect God to speak to your heart if you've got a filthy mouth or if you're loud and angry all the time. So those are really important things. And so, again, I think the struggle is often simply because we don't really get it and don't want to. Here's the next question. Uh, in Romans, Paul is writing to both Jewish and Gentile Christians, but is the letter as a whole addressed to both groups? Or are parts of the letter aimed at one or the other? And if the latter is the case, which parts are for both and which parts are for an explicit audience? And does that affect the application of certain parts of Romans to Christians today. Um, the, the book is written to Christians. That's the first thing to remember. The book is written to Christians. Now, in the body, um, there are, are excerpts where a specific audience is 
addressed. Uh, Romans chapter 2, just an example. Uh, you who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? That's Jews who, who believed that they were superior because they had the law of God. But what Paul is saying, look, you, you dishonor God, you know the law, but that's no value. You, you break the law. And then the next verse says, God's name is blasphemed, blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And then he goes on to explain circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you've not been circumcised. In other words, Paul's emphasis in Romans is circumcision of the heart, not the body. So that's very, very important. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3 starts addressing Jews. Um, uh, what advantage then is there being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? And then he explains it. Um, but most of Romans is written to a mixed audience, and certainly Rome was the center of the world then, and it would have been had a thriving Jewish population, in fact, so big that eventually they would be run out of of Rome um, in, in the dispersion or in a dispersion. Um, and so um, I, I think we can get in those passages where Paul's talking to Jews, we who are Gentiles, can have uh, application, but we need to understand how the word is intended, to whom it's directed. So, um, again, principles for all of it, specific applications. Most of the book, however, is for a mixed audience. Thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. Two minutes sometimes goes really, really fast, doesn't it? 340-9585 for your calls and questions. Here is another question that was in that list that was sent. Uh, who is right in the argument over Mark, Paul, or Barnabas? Um, I I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciate the timing of this question on Sunday as we close Second Timothy chapter 4, we close the book. Um, Paul is going to say, send Mark to me, for he's helpful or useful. And of course, the argument was um, Mark on the first missionary journey wanted to go, and they took him along, everybody was excited, and he bailed on him. And so Paul and Barnabas were just kind of left in the lurch and Mark was gone. Well, when they came back and were ready to begin on their second missionary journey, um, Mark wanted to go again. Give me another chance. And Barnabas, uh, his nephew, or his, Mark was Barnabas's nephew, um, uh, Barnabas wanted to take him. Barnabas was an encourager, the son of consolation. Uh, he was always concerned about the people. And Paul knowing that this is going to be a dangerous mission, um, he, he said no. He blew it once. We can't put other people in danger um, uh, by taking him again. Yeah, we're going to leave him here, and God will deal with him. 
Um, Paul wasn't angry. Uh, it's just a different focus. I don't think anybody was right, and I don't think anybody was wrong. I think they both looked at it from different perspectives. Barnabas, the people are the point. The Lord has spoken that to my heart so many times. But Paul, who was who mission-oriented, he just knew the mission has to be accomplished. There can't be any weak links. So I think they were both right. There was an argument. They split up. But God already had Silas getting ready to to go with Paul and Barnabas, we know historically, uh, went on for a very fruitful ministry time. So I don't think it's a matter of right or wrong. I just think it's a difference in perspective. You know, we've had um, trips we've taken people on, and there were times when I would permit people to come who I didn't think were really in the right place spiritually to go. And I would pray about it and not get any clear direction and feel like the the Lord would say, give them a break. Sometimes it's worked out really well, sometimes it didn't. But here's what I know. When you're traveling with a group of people, and I I always like saying this from the Blues Brothers, you're on a mission from God. I think you have to be careful to protect that mission. That's what Paul was doing. And yet we can't say that Barnabas was wrong because Barnabas was concerned about the person, Mark. Now, Mark, John Mark, he's the writer of the Gospel of Mark. We know that uh, he hooked up with Peter later. Uh, he wrote um, um, the Gospel of Mark, which is Peter's account. Uh, Paul himself says, you've received instructions about Mark, and now bring Mark to me because he's useful. Uh, so, so God had Mark in his hands. So this isn't a classic right or wrong argument at all. This is just God created two ministries out of one, and they went different ways, both, I believe, both Paul and Barnabas, in the will of God. So I know we like concise answers, but I don't think there's an answer that's clear on this one. Good question, though. Here is the next question. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, many people quote Jeremiah 29, 11 as a life verse. But the audience here is Israel. God was specifically speaking to Israel. How then should Christians apply Jeremiah 29, 11? Is it true that God knows the plans he has for us, but some Christians might hold to plans to prosper you and not to harm you as a defense for prosperity teaching, as in God won't let anything bad happen? You know, um, when people quote Jeremiah 29 um, or Second Chronicles 16, 7 and the others that we see, we hear so often and they quote them out of context, they're really doing a disservice. Uh, it is true generally that God has a plan to prosper us and uh, a plan not to harm us. Now, that has nothing to do with prosperity teaching. That just means that God's will for our lives is the best place to be. We can take the application principle from Jeremiah 29, 11 as New Testament questions, uh, uh, New Testament um, applications. However, when you're studying the Bible, one of the first hermeneutics you need to, to wrestle with is to whom is the author addressing? And here in this particular case, um, he's writing Jeremiah, who is in Jerusalem. There has been, at this point, three uh, dispersions from Jerusalem to Babylon. Ezekiel is is uh, Jeremiah's counterpart in Babylon. 
Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah was lamenting. I mean, read, read Lamentations. He, he was just one day lamenting, God, things are so bleak. We've been taken over by Babylon. Our people have been stolen from us. This is a judgment from God. Jeremiah knew that because he was one who prophesied that very judgment. But this is God coming to the discouraged prophet, a broken-hearted prophet. And he's saying, I know what you're seeing is bad. I know it looks hopeless. But here's what he's saying to Jeremiah. Now, this is a prophet who prophesied for 42 years, never had a convert. And he's saying to Jeremiah, I know how bad this looks, but I know the plans I have for you. Not for you, Jeremiah, for Jerusalem. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. In other words, the harm isn't coming from me. The harm is coming from Babylon, and Babylon is my instrument in judging you because you wouldn't repent of your sin. So I think that's important. We understand that. You know, we just did a, a, we are finishing this coming Sunday, a study in Second Timothy, which is the most personal of all of Paul's letters. And he's getting ready to die, so you can imagine all of the emotions that are being stirred up both in his heart and in the hearts of those who are close to him. And one of the things he says in the third chapter, he said, um, anyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I asked my church, I said, so how many of you have that verse on a plaque in, in some pl- prominent place in your home or in a refrigerator magnet? And of course, people laugh because nobody has that. But if I ask how many of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, every hand would go up. Well, Joshua 24 is for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Um, the context in the audience is very important in rightly understanding it. The principle for us is that God's will for our lives is the place where we will prosper. It has nothing to do with wealth or health. Um, God never would harm his, his own. And yet we know that people in the world, or, or people, Christians in the world, get harmed all the time. Or I think back just a few years to those Coptic Christians on the seashore, on, on, over the internet. They, they, they had their heads cut off. All they had to do was deny Jesus. They were harmed. It's just that God didn't do that. So this whole idea of, of Christians, that, well, God won't let anything bad happen to us because he loves us, certainly isn't true. Something horrible happened to his own son. The Apostle Paul, read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Read the things that he went through. The, the book of Acts, you can see. The, the seven letters to the churches. Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. Uh, bad things happen to those Christians. So, Jeremiah 29, 11 has great principle for us. But the application specifically was for Israel. And if you haven't really studied Jeremiah, you wouldn't know that. And that's one of the problems with people who don't teach. Um, this is how you study the Bible. You've got to find out who God is talking to. Um, those who don't believe in dispensationalism. It's, it's almost impossible to get a consistent hermeneutic and understand. But you understand it, I think, it's demonstrated by your question. Thank you for sending it. The next one, what do you say to the parents who are mad at God 
because they hold fast to Proverbs 22, 6, and did everything in the power to raise their child in the Lord, but then their child, now an adult, wants nothing to do with God. And so the parents feel as though Proverbs 22, 6 isn't true. Uh, let me read the proverb for you. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, I'd say a couple of things. First, have some faith. If you raised your child to know Jesus, to love Jesus, um, he's not old yet. She's not old yet. They may be adults. They may be making horrible decisions, and your heart may be broken. Also remember that Proverbs isn't something we make doctrine from. Proverbs is one of the poetic books, and this is a general principle that proves true over and over and over again, but it is not, never was intended to be an absolute promise. Now, here's something that's really important. I want everybody in the audience to hear me on this. Whenever you are mad at God for anything, you're wrong. Whenever you're mad at God for anything, you're wrong. God doesn't make your children make terrible decisions. So here's what you do. You pray for them. And you love them and you, you say, and this is the hardest prayer for a parent, God, whatever it takes. But when you utter that prayer and you can do it trusting the Lord with your child, then God is going to chase them to the ends of the earth. Again, he won't override their free will. That's really important. Let me also say something else when it comes to parenting. Too often, I've had parents... Uh, drag their kids to church and insist that they go. And they'll have family prayer at dinner and those kind of things, doing all the religious trappings. But their home is a mess. Moms and dads who don't get along, they yell at each other, they make their children's life miserable, there's no joy, there's no peace. When something like COVID happens, these parents freak out and they're afraid and, 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 and the the kids are looking and saying, well, well, where is your faith in God? And I think sometimes, you know, Paul writes that we're not to embitter, another translation says, exasperate our children, addressed specifically to fathers. Well, the father who is inconsistent, the father who says Jesus with his mouth, drags the kids to church, but treats the kid's mother with disrespect or unkindness. That's exasperating or embittering a child. That child, why would he want or why would she want your Jesus? So the most important thing in raising children isn't dragging them to church. Now, that's important. They shouldn't have a voice in it, a vote in it. The most important thing is, is the Jesus in your home the Jesus of the Bible? Are you submitted and committed to his lordship? Are you trusting him when things are difficult? I mean, those are such important questions. Examine your heart questions. Because if your Jesus isn't attractive, why would we expect that our kids would want him? If you're a legalist in your home, well, there's no joy in that. So when you raise your child in the Lord, as Proverbs 22, 6 says, it's not just dragging him to church or forcing Bible studies down their throat. It's living with Jesus, living for Jesus, and letting the joy of the Lord be that which controls your house.
That's what we need to remember. Again, if you're mad at God, you're always wrong. Good question. My husband and I, this is the next question, my husband and I entered ministry together, but I've grown to feel I no longer want to continue to serve in this particular ministry. I continue because my husband is the head. Should he step down and focus on me, his wife, or do I need to continue on even though long I no longer have any joy in it? Um, I'm going to be really direct with this question, and, and this is obviously the wife who is writing it. Um, there's way too much you in this question. You made a commitment. You need to honor that commitment. You need to stand by your husband as you serve together as partners in this ministry because you said you would and because you owe it to Jesus. And your joy can't come from the ministry. Your joy can't come from what people, how people respond to your ministry. Your joy has to come from Jesus' smile when you're faithful when you're faithful, he's so pleased. And he's the one that you're trying to please. And, and you've grown to feel you no longer want to continue to serve in this particular ministry. Um, you need to tough it up. You need to understand that you made a promise, not only to your church, but you made a promise to Jesus. And you made a promise to your husband. So the Bible has an answer for you. Submit to your husband's ladies. Serve together. You know, in Second Timothy at the end, Paul is going to address Priscilla and Aquila. And this is a, a, a statement I make and people can't believe it, but the only marriage in the Bible that is commended as being a good godly marriage is, is Aquila and Priscilla. The only one. You can go cover to cover, Old Testament new, and you can't find an example of somebody who was a good husband or a particularly great wife. Uh, Boaz and Ruth come close, but it's a sort of a different context. But, but the idea here is Priscilla and Aquila, they had different gifts. They complemented one another. They were both committed unto death. They nearly gave their lives in their service for the Lord. They were helpful in Paul's ministry. They were helpful in Apollos' ministry. They were serving together with their whole hearts. So the issue here is your unwillingness to follow the lead of your husband, even though you said you would. I want you to understand how difficult that is. How would you ever explain to Jesus that, well, I don't want to continue in this ministry, even though I promised you I would? It's really important that we understand this. Sometimes, I don't know the questioner here, but sometimes I wonder if people are committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ at all. What I would suggest you do, this is to the wife, is to repent. You're not your own, you're bought with a price. You have no right to your feelings. You cannot quit on God. And the fact that so many do ought to make us question, really, what is their commitment to Jesus Christ? So you serve not because it's fun, but because it's a sacrifice. Jesus, in John chapter 13, washed the feet of his disciples. You think he liked washing dirty feet? 
He did it to set an example for us. And when we make a commitment to serve, and then we just sort of bail on it, and you've already bailed out on it in your heart, you need to repent. And remember who you are. You are a servant of God. And being a servant of the Most High God is a gift, a privilege, and an honor that we way too often take for granted. It is a frustrating thing for me as a pastor. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Daniel on line one. Daniel, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I would just want to ask you a question about something I was reading in Ephesians. I don't know you you're teaching on that, but I don't know if maybe I missed a section of the sermon or but it's okay. something that I was reading a few uh, last week, and I was reading in the first chapter. It says that Jesus, um, he has the highest title of authority given not only in this age but also in the age to come. Mm-hmm. So it made me begin to when I was thinking about that, I just began to think and wonder that. Um, as a Christian, you know, in in light of knowing that Jesus has the highest, the ultimate, he's the ultimate authority, you know, I thought like, you know, sometimes we submit to, you know, our earthly leaders and in, in because you know we respect them out of respect, right? We we submit to our leaders, um, but I thought like, shouldn't like me as a Christian, like I thought like sub- like submit to others in reverence. To the Lord, you know, and out of fear for the Lord, but I mean more reverence, like, you know, out of, like, you know, like serve one another out of reverence for Christ because he tells us to do that, you know, like, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just thought, like, you know, like as a Christian, you know, I should, it should be like something to, to, to honor the Lord in, you know, because he who holds the highest office not only now here in this life, but also in the next, you know, uh, he's asking us to do this, you know, to serve one another. I don't know if that makes sense. but It, it does. It does make sense, Daniel. You know, the the um, um, Philippians were told that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Uh, that That time is coming for all of us. But in Ephesians chapter one. Um, the, the the divine design of this book is overwhelming to me personally, and, and you know that, Daniel, you've been listening to me teach it, but um, the first three chapters are all about what God has done for us. And um, um, Christ was raised from the dead, the power of God raised him from the dead, um, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. It doesn't just refer to the, the day that we live in, but also to the kingdom age and then to eternity in heaven. Jesus is going to have all of that authority. Um, uh, it refers to authority here over demons and, and, and principalities and power. Uh, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus is really the one in control because things so often look like they're spinning out of control. And... Um, um, our response to that, Daniel, is simply um, absolutely submitting to him as the Lord 
over our life. In in verse 22 of the chapter you're talking about, the result of all of this is in God placed all things, that includes you and me, Daniel, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I wasn't quite sure what you were talking about in terms of of, of, of fear of God or revering God. Um, but, but the only way that we can really revere God, and we do it out of a healthy filial fear of God, the only thing that we can do, the only proper response, is to obey him. Now, Jesus put it in the affirmative. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. And it doesn't matter what level of reverence or what level of fear we think we have if we're not being obedient to the one who is appointed head over everything for the church. I mean, he's our Lord. If, if we're not um, um, being obedient to that one, then we've lost our place. We, we've sort of lost our way. And the idea here is our response is simply to be obedient. This isn't about behavior in the sense that, well, I'm going to talk differently, I'm going to dress the Father differently. Uh, it, none, none of that. It, it's just, uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. I'm going to obey you, Lord. And Acts 5.32, of course, says, and God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey in the context there is in power. So good question, Daniel. Thank you very, very much. Now, we are inside two minutes. Let me see if I can get one more of these questions in. Um, many on social media are saying that everything that's happening to our country is judgment because we I can't do that in the two minutes that we have. So um, I'll get the other two questions uh, on tomorrow's program. I won't be able to do that. So let me see if I've got a quick one that I can do. Uh, Daniel, this is a different Daniel, I think. Can you explain Luke 22? Verses 35 through 38. Uh, let me read them real quickly and then we can. Jesus asked them, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. Well, to this, Daniel, they didn't get it either. What Jesus is saying, look, I'm going away now. And you're on your own. And while I've always protected you, things are going to get hard. Before you didn't need a purse, before you didn't need money, now I'm leaving. You need those things. In other words, be on guard. And it's really the only thing, Daniel, that this passage of Scripture is about Just be ready for the fight that's going to happen. Good question. Hey, we are tonight going to be having our men's and women's Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Linda McMillan will be teaching the ladies, Pastor Ken teaching the men. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.